0: start do we have a spoiler policy for Star Trek Picard?
1: LOL. <laughs> I was just gonna say I am going to talk about Star Trek Picard. I can't not. Okay. But I will try to keep make it in one section or something so we can say like skip this part I'll do my best
0: I was going to say if we can think about what we're about to say we can warn listeners in advance and go hey hit the skip button so first of all if you're not spoiled for Star Trek Picard hit the skip button and also maybe hit it anyway because I'm about to sing secret baby secret baby Wesley's brother secret 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 baby yeah
1: Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation season 1 episode Data Lore. Should I do
0: a quick synopsis? Yes, because I said don't forget to do a synopsis (laughs) and i remembered you put the note and i saw it and i was like oh yeah we should do a synopsis like a proper podcast right the enterprise makes a side trip to the planet where data was found it's meant to be rich farmland but it's completely lifeless except that they find data's naked disassembled brother naturally they reassemble him because what else would you do He turns out to be a charming android named Law, who is basically lying whenever he opens his mouth. The crew never really trusts him, and neither does Data, which I really have to respect given how often we talk about Data as this naive, childlike person. Law makes contact with the Crystalline Entity, the being that destroyed this planet, and says, hey, you want to feed on some humans? Come get the Enterprise. Law swaps places with Data, for they are identical. Wesley catches onto the ruse very quickly, but no one will listen to his warnings except for his mother. Uh, Beverly reactivates Data and they confront Law, but Law takes Wesley hostage and sets Beverly's coat on fire. And in the ensuing struggle, Data gets to do the, you know, the nobody puts baby in a corner. Dance, the dirty dancing lift as he hurls Lore into the transporter and Wesley beams him into space.
1: Nobody puts Lore in the corner. (laughs) (laughs) That's just an amazing description of that ridiculous stunt.
0: (laughs) Shout out to Brett Spiner's stunt double. He was doing his best. (laughs) And his
1: body double appears on the VHS for this which has always entertained me that on the back of the VHS, it was a picture of Brent Spiner and Brent Spiner is a very obvious not Brent Spiner (laughs) potty
0: double. I had forgotten about that, but I can, I can see it in my mind. I've definitely seen that VHS. Annika, this was your first introduction to the next generation.
1: Yes. Isn't it amazing that I'm a fan?
0: (laughs) So you had seen a Star Trek TOS episode as a play. That's
1: right. I had seen episodes of Star Trek because they were played at 10 p.m. I remember this very well. They were played at 10 p.m. And I would stay up, even though I was not old enough (laughs) to stay up. I would stay up and I would watch old episodes of the original series. And I don't remember very much. I remember that I watched the Galileo 7 with my mother and she was like, This is so boring. How can you like, <laughs> s-
0: Your mother was right about
1: that episode. <laughs> and I was afraid, like seriously afraid of obsession. Mm-hmm. I slept over at my friend's house that weekend after seeing it. And I was afraid that the cloud monster was going to come and get us in the middle of the night. But all of this makes sense because I was like in third grade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I should not have been watching TOS <laughs> at 10 p.m. on a school night <laughs> and being afraid of cloud monsters. Mm. And then when Next Generation started, I was like, that's not real Star Trek.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. You just got that phase of fandom out of the way really early.
1: <laughs> and so, And I refused to watch it, which is ridiculous, but true classic and and so then yes I was just flipping around television and I came across data lore it was the last 15 minutes of the episode (laughs) and I started watching and I was like wait a minute this is Star Trek (laughs) and I got very excited and then I started watching it weekly Mm -hmm. I mean data lore I was gonna say right up top bad episode.
0: Really? I was going to say this is surprisingly good. Nope. Oh We wow. were so
1: positive around Arsenal of Freedom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did not have the same experience <laughs> with this particular episode. I found it disorderly, cliche mm-hmm. and I didn't like the relationship dramas that were set up.
0: Oh that's fascinating because I loved it. Like, my only <laughs> quibble about this episode is the whole shut up Wesley scene, which we'll discuss in length later on. But right. it was the third episode of Star Trek that I saw. For some reason, we were getting episodes late and wildly out of order. So I saw The Arsenal of Freedom, then the second season episode, The Dauphin. Do- Do-Fa. Dauphin? 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 I don't know how. Do-Fan. I don't know French. French is not my Do-Fa. thing. Dauphin? Dauphin? And... No. And then it was Data Law. And I was like, clearly, Beverly Crusher is the most important character in this universe, <laughs> and I think I should hang around and keep watching this show.
1: Again, I came in at the end. I came, mm. This is, might be why I don't like this episode, is that I literally came in on this Shut Up Wesley scene. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That was my introduction to the next mm. generation, mm. however, what followed was Beverly Crusher being a mama lion yes. and I loved her and I imprinted on her. And I realize now looking back that it was the same reaction I had to Darth Vader in Return <laughs> of the Go on. I apologize to everyone for comparing Beverly Crusher to Darth Vader. However, it's literally the same reaction that I just became a fan for life because of this absolute childish need for a parent who would risk death and do everything it takes to protect me
0: so what you're saying is a beverly crusher anakin skywalker is your greatest otp i think yeah because then they would be my parents is
1: that what you're saying (laughs) Those, those are my parents but i always say that The Skywalker family defined love for me when I was seven. Mm. And this wasn't that much later. It was like three years later. (laughs) And here was Beverly Crusher doing the same thing. Mm. And Wesley. Yeah, And you know, so I'm always gonna love Wesley. And spoilers for Star Trek Picard. (laughs) Her character thus far in the first three episodes is literally just Mama Lion. It's her entire character arc in Picard Season 3, and I'm, like, crying about it. Perfection.
0: It's maybe not great feminism, but your id doesn't have to be the perfect feminist. I love your note that this is the evil twin trope fused with the evil AI trope. It just is. No, no, no. I think the reason I enjoy this episode so much is because I kind of do see season 1 next gen through the eyes of a child and I think the evil twin is a story that children understand. I definitely thought evil twins were going to be a bigger problem in my adult life than they have turned out to be I think it's that thing where you're a kid and you have siblings and they're like you but they're not you and that's complicated and Mm. like Law I was very happily an only child for a period and then my brother came along I'm very fond of my brother. I think he's fantastic. I love him. But, you know, I-, I am definitely the law in the relationship. My next closest brother
1: and I would pretend to be twins
0: oh. when we were
1: small. We're actually three and a half years apart, but mm-hmm. we were close enough in size and and right, yeah. he's, he's my brother. And so we would just tell people that we were twins (laughs) and they would believe us because again why would children lie about that right right it's my entire childhood is why would i be lying about that (laughs) which i guess makes me the lore in the relationship as well but i think that i don't like the evil twin trope Mm. because i don't believe in evil yes and so lore if there's Literally nothing redeeming about Laura in this entire episode. Oh no, no. And therefore I can't deal with him. That feels fake to me. So I think that's my
0: issue. He's definitely not a complex enough character to keep coming back, which raises the question of why they kept bringing him back. I understood it in Brothers, But by the time you get to Descent, it was like, why is this happening? This makes no sense. Obviously, I'm reserving judgment on his appearance in Picard. I'm still kind of stuck on somehow Moriarty has returned. So, you know, I'm not even watching Star Trek Picard yet. None of that has happened yet. No, I'm just really enjoying the spoilers. (laughs) Anyway, you're right. Laura's a really simplistic character, but he's very magnetic to watch, especially next to Data, who is so reserved and Mm. we've been quite mean about Brent Spiner's acting abilities over the years and I stand by all of that but I also think his performance as Law is very good.
1: I would say that's why he kept coming back.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I feel that it was entirely based on the performances and it's a fun, you know, it's a good trope for storytelling, at least storytelling on a very simplistic level Mm. and yet they try to make it more complex and like I give them props for that. Lore, I would say in in all of his appearances, has still not proven to be much more than the evil AI trope. (laughs) But I appreciate that they were trying to make the ideas of what makes a brother, At, at what point do you give up on your family, there are interesting questions that they do go into, mostly in Brothers and later, but it's just my bias that I'm just not interested in characters who are just evil because they're evil. He being a construct mm. means that he was created to mm. be evil. And if lore is right and he was created to be human, yeah, then that means that humans are just <laughs> default evil and i just sort of reject all of that
0: i think the problem is that law was created by noonie and who comes from a long line of assholes and so okay. law kind of reflects that you know he reflects his creator whereas data was created to be something different and i do think mm. it's interesting that law is more human-like and that's what makes him dangerous, that he has ambition and he feels pleasure at the pain and fear of others. He is a better representative of the Song family than Data.
1: I might be misremembering Inheritance because I haven't seen it in a long mm. while oh. but I do feel like she had like more to do with Data and her influence
0: was why Data ended up better. Mm. I had forgotten that Data had a mother. I mean <laughs> I mean, Star Trek also (laughs) forgot.
1: (laughs) Star Trek doesn't believe in mothers. (laughs) (laughs) But I, which I don't necessarily see as a a good thing, sort of in the same way that you said that it's not super feminist of of Beverly Mm. to be a mom. But because that reduces womanhood to like the good part of humanity. Which is and remember
0: in <laughs> season one of Picard when we were afraid that the plot twist would be that Agnes had contributed biologically to the right. synths. Yeah, yeah. I think the whole gender stuff around the Sung family is fascinating and some nerd out there can get a whole PhD from it. I think the thing about Data is that he wasn't just created with input from Juliana, but with input from the entire colony's community. Mm. Whereas, Lore was Sung's ego working alone. And it takes a village to raise an android.
1: That's great.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about names.
1: I love names. Yes. Names have meanings, Mm -hmm. they are words. So I think it is absolutely not in any way an accident that Data is named after facts and Lore is
0: named after myth. I agree, and I also really want to know how much cocaine was involved in the decision to title this episode Data Lore. Because that's not not a word, that's just...
1: But it relates to my, let's talk about names, because Mm. if you take Data as Data's name and Lore as the word for backstory,
0: (laughs) then that's what the title is. Oh my gosh! Okay, I withdraw all of my comments, including the implication that drugs were in any way involved at any stage in the creation of any Star Trek. That is genius. I just wanted
1: to mention that these Mm. these names have meanings, and that they're important, and I just think it's actually super clever, and I, you know, A++.
0: And we see it again with the synths on Coppelius in season one of Picard. Many of them have similar names. Right. I can't remember any of them right now, but...
1: And Kor is named after the Persephone myth, there's all sorts of...
0: Those songs! Mm. They're a little strange. Which makes it even worse that Daj and Soji, like, those names don't mean anything, they're not mm. from anywhere. Whereas Lal means beloved, like... Yeah! <laughs> yeah. Oh well.
1: Which leads us into the next point, let's talk about family. This is such a family episode. That's at the heart of this episode, including the crew as family aspect.
0: Yes. It even sort of starts at the beginning where Picard is really, really excited to make this side trip to Data's home planet. So excited. He's so excited. They have like a mission that they're yes. supposed to be doing. Yes.
1: And Picard is like, oh, but we're going near Data's home planet, so let's go there instead. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, I guess that's part of the going boldly and yes, exploring. <laughs> yes.
0: We'll talk about this in a minute, but I really actually like Picard in this episode, that one particular scene notwithstanding. But yes, it occurred to me as I watched this episode that no one who ever addresses their sibling as my brother is a good person. My brother. My brother. It happens a lot in Avatar and it's always from Azula who is a 14-year-old war criminal. It's like a red flag. If I started addressing my brother as, hello, my brother, <laughs> uh, I, I think he would be justified in like, reaching for the shotgun, because clearly I've yep. been replaced with an evil android.
1: So, they get to Data's home planet and they mm. talk about it being Data's home light over and over and over again, and I do want to say, I think What's delightful about the whole Picard, I'm going to take a side trip to Data's home planet, is that it it is very much in line with Picard's archaeology fetish. Yes. (laughs) That he wants to see where Data, who, Mm. while he's a member of his crew and he's a person and everything, he is also this incredible artifact.
0: Yes. And... No disrespect to Picard, but at various points through the series he does have to be reminded that Data is more than an artifact. Which I actually think is very realistic in terms of, you know, how anthropologists and archaeologists see the cultures that they're studying. It's not a great look for Picard, but it seems very realistic.
1: So speaking of artifacts, yes. they come across Laura's body yes, and it is disassembled and in place in a wall. It's mm-hmm. like an installation of Lore's spare parts. It's really strange. <laughs> so they take down Lore's head mm-hmm. and Data's like holding it and he's looking at it. And they're, you know, all of it is very, very strange. And this prop head looks It's so bad. 10% like <laughs> Brent Spiner. It looks nothing <laughs> like Brent Spiner. There is no resemblance whatsoever.
0: You know you can get those giant barbie heads for little girls to make up it looked like one of those and they just cut the hair hair hair
1: that's (laughs) exactly what it is so my question is because they only pick up his head Mm. but the rest of his body is there including a like very
0: visible butt i know (laughs) how was that on television in 1987. i want to know like Does that look like Brent Shriner? Did they take a mold?
1: It's just really hilarious to me that they almost linger on this butt at one moment. Yeah! And that whole sequence is just, I'm sitting there going, I can't believe this is real. This is like a fever dream. (laughs) The installation of his body parts and then the fetishizing of his head while his (laughs) bare butt is in the background it's really strange
0: but also the family thing like Law's body is disassembled and then nearby is the children's artwork of the crystalline entity which is great by the way that looked like kids artwork from various ages and I really liked those props but I'm like even without Law there's something very weird about this community
1: something wrong with this colony (laughs) This is their art museum, here's our disassembled (laughs) android, and here are our children's drawings of the evil creature that's going to murder us all.
0: Yes. And and later in the series, don't we revisit the idea of the colony and Data's memories of the colonists? It's in Silicon Avatar with the Doctor whose son was killed by this crystalline entity, so she makes it her mission to seek revenge because, again, women are defined by their motherhood. One of the most depressing episodes of Star Trek. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. And that's because as a kid, I found it a real downer.
1: The only one I find
0: more depressing of
1: old Trek, like 90s Trek, Mm -hmm. is it's a Voyager. The one where they they're like the fake Voyagers. Course
0: Oblivion.
1: Course Oblivion. Yeah, yeah. That's the only one that I find more depressing. (laughs) Silicon Avatar of 90s Trek.
0: Yep, yep. What gets me? Law has memories of Sung and had some sort of relationship with Sung And he's going on about our beloved father, Dr. Noonie and often wrong Sung, which is a terrible nickname. Like, guys. That doesn't even rhyme. No! No. But again, it's the family thing. And even in the scene where Data is practicing his sneezes and Wesley comes in, Wesley talks about his mother and yeah you're right this is a real family episode It's a super family episode culminating in beverly going full mama bear and is this where the my son drop from the the greatest generation
1: wesley the boy the boy young wesley crusher my son Yes, you take one more step towards my son. My
0: son. Yes, I heard it and I was like, the horns. I hear the horns. That was the moment that
1: Beverly Becrusher became my favorite. (laughs) My favorite person. And I am still that child Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. going, oh, that's my favorite person.
0: Be my mama. It's amazing to me that multiple episodes of season one have climactic scenes where Beverly saves everyone by turning up with a phaser. Like, she doesn't save everyone here, but she comes close, and then there's conspiracy. And it's like, should Beverly be in security? Because she's kind of better at it than Worf. She's definitely better at than Worf, because she fails
1: to, like, get Lore, but mm-hmm. he... stupid Like, Lore's an idiot, but <laughs> Lore lets her go, mm-hmm. and she immediately returns with an entire security team, yeah, yeah. and... And the captain. <laughs> like, I mean, I I love that scene too. I love that she refused to go to sick bay because her son was in danger. I love that Picard says, "Okay, your son's fine. Go to go to sick bay." <laughs> like everything about the last fifteen minutes of this episode is great. Yes, I I love that part of the episode, and I think that my issue with the rest of the episode is that it was disappointing to watch the whole thing. Mm. knowing how much I loved
0: the culmination. That makes sense. But I really enjoyed watching most of the episode because Data seems like someone who takes everything at face value, and often he is, but that is never the case with Law. He is aware that Law is lying as soon as he wakes up and doesn't let on right away. And I think that's really interesting behaviour from Data. And I actually like it when a character turns out to know more than they appeared. More than you think. Mm. And especially because uh, everybody else is kind
1: of naive about it. And not entirely, and they aren't, like, after the the whole Wesley thing. Mm. And within that, like, Picard does actually say, like, let's check. And in fact, the reason that Wesley knows everything is because he was sent by Riker to go check on stuff. So they don't take it entirely at face value, but the fact that Wesley is the only one who seems to think something's wrong Mm. makes them sort of, like, they push back against that because they think they know better than him. And it makes them stupid. Like, they, they forget that we're already suspicious and just, like, double down on making this Wesley's problem.
0: Even Riker doesn't follow up on the report that he sent Wesley to get. Suddenly like in this one scene becomes kids TV where the adults have to be stupid so the kid can be right. Yes. And and it's like obviously there are growing pains in how Wesley is written but this isn't the case for the entire rest of this episode even, let alone the rest of the series. And so I do think this is where a lot of fandom's dislike for Wesley crystallized because yeah. suddenly the show has become a bad kids' show to accommodate him. And really, it's just bad writing in a weird, weird way. Like, right. do we talk about the shut-up Wesley scene properly now? Because you know I have thoughts on it.
1: Sure, as long as we can go back to talking about other
0: stuff after. <laughs> I mean, we can get there later, whatever. We can follow your...
1: No, outline. no, no. Let's do Shut Up Wesley now. I have other things to say about Beverly that are both
0: oh, pre- oh, before yeah. and after, yeah.
1: but let's let's go for
0: It's out of character for Picard, who has always treated Wesley with a kind of distant, polite respect. And it's so strange because you bring a kid onto your bridge and you give him a role, you need to treat him with the respect you give to the rest of your bridge crew. And then he says, shut up, Wesley. And I actually, spoilers for Picard, skip ahead. You can see Beverly thinking, in the unlikely event that this man ever impregnates me, I'm going to go to the other end of the galaxy and raise that child alone. Because this man is not a good father. (laughs) She repeats, shut up, Wesley, to him, but... It's in a different way. It's using Picard's words to tell Wesley to choose his battles and fight this one differently. And it's like she's afraid that he's going to throw away everything he has worked for and his entire dream of being on the bridge of the Enterprise because he doesn't know how to present his argument properly. It's still not a great line for her. And in my family, shut up was forbidden like we weren't allowed to say that to each other it was like as bad as a swear word so for me watching with my parents it was as if Picard had suddenly started saying fuck so terrible scene (laughs) well yes
1: yes to all of that and in terms of Beverly Mm -hmm. shut up Wesley a spoiler to Picard again Mm -hmm. but you're right because that's exactly what she does to Jack as well she Mm -hmm. doesn't tell him to shut up but she does tell him to calm down and and focus on the problem and not let his emotions get in the way of dealing with stuff. Like, yeah, you know, don't let them get to you. That's their problem. Their response to you is their problem. It's not your problem. Your problem is ignoring them and, <laughs> and doing what you need to do. And the thing is that that's what Wesley does. Wesley, hmm. like she says, shut up, Wesley. And he sort of looks at her and then he just keeps going. He's like, yeah, hey, whatever. I'm going to say this because I know I'm right. And then he says, request permission to leave because he knows they had a whole telepathic conversation between mother and son. They understood each other. And I, I really appreciate that because again, I put a lot of emphasis on Beverly's relationship to her child.
0: Yes. And this is more active parenting than she gets to do through most of the rest of the series. Right.
1: And so then... Picard tells her to go with him and she says you're putting me off the bridge like it's he's punishing her for her son's Mm. misdeeds and he says I'm asking you to keep an eye on your son in all of this and that whole conversation is like this is the bridge. (laughs) (laughs) What are any of you doing? (laughs)
0: I mean, why is Beverly even here, is a reasonable question to ask. What is going
1: on (laughs) in this entire scene? Because, so, Wesley, perfectly reasonably, Riker literally gave him this job. Riker said, go check on Data and Lore, and then they come back and he's like, I checked on Data and Lore and I think it's sketch and we should do something about Mm. it. And Riker's like, no. I take full responsibility for this young man's failings. And then the whole shut up scene happens. And then I'm putting you off the bridge, take care of your son. And I'm just sitting here going, look, the kid does not belong on the bridge. Hmm. He never belonged on the bridge, but you made a decision to put him here. And then you made a decision to give him responsibility. So treating him like this is completely inappropriate in every way
0: not only that but wesley's behavior reminds me also of tasha's early scene where she asks picard on the bridge if they can still trust data which is a wild question like no one else would suddenly become untrustworthy if their sibling turned up although except Worf, who literally leaves to fight her anyway, when,
1: when tasha's sibling
0: <laughs> turns up <laughs> they start thinking about her in interesting ways okay yes okay siblings are bad news it's true But Picard doesn't criticize her for asking, she has given him the opportunity and he takes it to publicly express his support for Data, which is why she asked in the first place. And as much as that's an awkward and weird scene and kind of anti-Android, it's striking. It's almost as if Picard has expressed his trust in Data so hard that then he cannot accept Wesley saying, hey, something is up and we might not be able to rely on Data. Interesting.
1: Mm. Interesting.
0: I did not set out to excuse Picard and I still think Picard no, was just widely just... out of character in this one scene. If it is pride, like, Picard is
1: 100% a super proud man. That is absolutely mm. his cardinal sin. Mm. His entire backstory with his heart condition and everything is all mm. about pride. Everything is about pride. And certainly, literally everything that happens in all of Picard thus far <laughs> is about all three pride seasons <laughs> and how it is his sin. Like mm. every single person that comes up and says, you know, Picard, you are not that great. <laughs> Get over yourself. That's what every single person in Picard's life says to him in all three seasons of Star Trek Picard. Yes. So I feel very comfortable. I, I actually really love your headcanon that Picard has planted his flag in trusting Data, and the fact that Wesley is saying maybe no,
0: that's why he has such a
1: reversal.
0: Mm. Look, I didn't set out to create that headcanon, but it's here and I love it. I really
1: love it. I mean, that's absolutely what happened.
0: Okay, good. But it's still a bad scene, and Paramount owes Will Wheaton compensation. Like no joke.
1: Yeah. Like, I said in the notes here that Paramount owes will be in compensation for mm-hmm. this episode. Like reparations. Yeah. For this yeah. episode. Because of the entire Shut Up Wesley scene, which we just said, and because we also have this disgusting line <laughs> that you can't even handle. <laughs> that Data tells Lore he has a child's body, but we have found him to be
0: much more. Yeah, I got to that and I was like what no. are you trying to say? But nope. also nope. The whole shut up Wesley thing became such a term of abuse for Will Wheaton
1: specifically yeah, for Will
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess if I were writing television, I would try to avoid creating a situation where a line a of child. dialogue, a line of dialogue addressed as, as a child could be used to bully that child so i have
1: been on a panel called toxic fandom a number of times yes and one of my co-panelists sue from women at war love sue likes to start that discussion Mm -hmm. with when she was young one of the first fandom interactions that she had was usenet boards and everything and there was one that
0: was called wesley crusher die 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 yep i've heard of it i don't know if it was entirely wesley crusher rape porn but that is a child (laughs) Mm -hmm. like i don't know how
1: more clearly i can say that both will be in and wesley crusher were a child when this story began 14. yeah like by this episode 15 years old Do not ever put a 15-year-old in that position, Mm. Hollywood. (laughs) I loved, I just, I loved Wesley Crusher. My little brother had giant posters of Will Wheaton and Wesley Crusher, one that was Will Wheaton and one that was Wesley Crusher on his wall that we got from joining the Will Wheaton fan club (laughs) because we loved him. And so like for the, five-year-old little boys and the 13-year-old girls, Wesley Crusher was perfect. Yeah. And it's so upsetting to look back on this time where adults Mm. were choosing to take out their anger at bad writing and the concept of children. on actual children
0: i would like to say that this no longer happens but unfortunately so first of all i've been watching the last of us it's really really good and so the algorithm has decided that i need to see a lot of the last of us fandom and so many fan bros really really hate bella Ramsey because she is not playing a sexy enough 14 year old yes yes and bella is 19. this is not exactly a will wheaton situation but at the same time like what they say about her and her appearance and her gender identity because she uses she her pronouns but is non-binary it's just unspeakably cruel and i was in fact reading a gq interview with bella yesterday where she talked about how much that hurt her i do look 19 is still young.
1: They did this to Daisy Ridley. Yes. <laughs> when she was 19. It's like, mm-hmm. what is wrong with people that Jake Lloyd in The yeah. Fantasy Menace? Yeah. Everyone who's ever played John Connor, like, mm-hmm. there are so many stories of the bullying of child stars. Yeah. And then they wonder why they asked adults to play them. It's like, because of this. It's because it's safer to cast an adult who doesn't look young enough and allow them to take on all of the abuse Mm. than it is to cast an actual child (laughs) in those roles.
0: For some people, fandom is a license to be unspeakably cruel. And it doesn't matter whether the target is an adult or a child. And I think in some ways people like that they can be cruel to a child.
1: And this is the thing, Will be in last year was on a book tour Mm. talking about how his family and random strangers made his life a living hell. Yeah. And it took him many, many years to get over it. And honestly, he's not over it. It still affects him. Yeah. So maybe just be kinder.
0: Yeah. That, that doesn't mean don't criticize. We've just talked about what a terrible scene that is. But no one is going after Patrick Stewart for that.
1: I mean, like I said, that he has a child's body where we, we have found him to be majeure is never write that. I was going to like, PSA, <laughs> never write that. <laughs> that is bad writing. It is fetishistic. It is weird. Mm-hmm. It is like, No. No. First of all, the the whole innocence of childhood concept is bad. Don't do that to children. Children are not this blank slate that you can put whatever the hell you want on. <laughs> children are people.
0: Fake news. Who <laughs>
1: have their own feelings, who have their own desires and needs and boundaries and and no... Sorry, it <laughs> really upset me.
0: No, it's a terrible line and it also made me think. Setting aside the vague pedophilic connotations, it's as if they were kind of struggling with finding the balance between writing Gene Roddenberry's super special Gary Stew who is good at everything and a genius and writing an actual adolescent. A- and so here they've just decided to skirt around that by going, oh no, he's just a special magical person. He He's an adult in a child's... Oh, 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 I'm not finished. I can't I can't Rest.
1: deal with no. the, the entire thing. And it... Uh, no.
0: I do want to point up Adira as a sign of how far the franchise has evolved, because mm. at no point have they tried to pretend that Adira is anything other than a teenager with the memories of many lifetimes. Mm. They treat them with mm.
1: respect. Yes,
0: yes. No one would tell Adira to shut up. Right. And
1: also, okay, so not to like make this about my therapy, mm-hmm. but also the concept of shutting up. You said that it was like a swear in your household. Yeah. yeah. And I was told often my father was born my the man who raised me was born in nineteen thirty-seven. Oh wow. That was a hell of a long time <laughs> <Yeah>. ago. <laughs> He was of a completely different generation, even from, like, my mother. Mm. And certainly from me and, you know, children Mm. in general. He was 40 when my brother, his first son, was born. And he was definitely, and his mother, who, fun fact, was only 17 years older than him. Oh, no. So, it's all that? They were very much of the generation of... Children are to be seen and not heard. Uh huh. And also, children are little dolls that we get to dress up and mm-hmm. make do whatever we want. And that's what they're for. They're for legacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're for a, an extension of myself. And that's why they, they have to be beautiful and perfect and they can't talk.
0: I didn't realize <laughs> your dad was Jean Luc Picard. <laughs>
1: Do you understand all of my issues?
0: I, so... I do, I do. <laughs>
1: and all of my interests. Yes. Until I was an adult, I had this, I'm too loud. I would introduce mm. myself mm. as someone who was too
0: loud and who talked too much. It's so invalidating to grow up in that environment.
1: <laughs> and, you know, until I like was in a lot of therapy <laughs> and, <laughs> and realized and the thing is that my mother was the opposite. My mother was very much a person who was like, you have to stand up for the marginalized. You mm. have to always shout. But I lost her. She died.
0: Yeah.
1: And I didn't have that influence long enough for it to inspire me until I was old enough to make the distinction for myself. Mm. And so the very idea of a child being invited into. An adult space and then told to shut up and then told to shut up it's just yeah everything about that is wrong
0: to me it's very upsetting on a visceral level for you it sounds Mm
1: -hmm. but let's talk about how great Beverly is
0: well I was going to say you know you lost your mum, but you were sort of imprinted on Beverly and Beverly is a very outspoken character she stands up for what she wants she speaks her mind she has always been that bitch. Exactly.
1: There are so many people who are saying that Beverly is out of character in Mm. Star Trek Picard season three. And from my perspective, she has never been more in character. Amazing. The Beverly that shows up in like literally the first minutes of Star Trek Picard season three is the Beverly in the last 10 minutes of Data Lore. Mm. The woman that I said, oh, okay mine <laughs> this is for me and this is i have lost a mother figure and i'm going to take this one yes and it happens all at once next generation mm-hmm. i just said that you know my mother made fun of star trek when i was a kid and next generation premiered a few months before my mother died so i had already like met beverly when my mother died but she was I was losing her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the thing is that he, as a mom, she's great in this episode, but she's also really great with data. I was like, this say, is the part what... that I wanted to go back and talk to you about. Yes is that Data tells Beverly about his off switch. Yes. and she promises not to tell anyone. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute is Beverly the first and only Trek doctor dedicated to doctor-patient confidentiality? That, I had I exactly the same thought. Of a single <laughs> other example of, and we, we've talked about it in Discovery, how mm. everyone just sort of wanders around sickbay yeah. and they're just hanging out mm. on their bio beds. There is no privacy in yeah. any yeah. sickbay on any Star Trek. And Beverly takes the time to make sure that that Data feels safe. Yeah. And that is, like, what? (laughs) What is happening?
0: This is also an episode where she gets to work with Chief Engineer Argyle. I think we hit what the greatest gen guys would call a natural Jaeger. And use her technical skills as well as her medical ones to reassemble law. And to sort of reverse engineer data we see that at various points over the years later she's working with Geordie on data or Locutus yes. or Hugh but I think this is the first time you know if this was the original series that would just be a Spock job and McCoy would be hanging around making remarks about how silly it all is absolutely you know how Jet Reno, when she's introduced, she's an engineer doing medicine because it's all it's all different kinds of systems. This is the reverse of that. Beverly is a doctor being an engineer. And I love that. I love how versatile she is. And I think it comes back to what we were saying with the Arsenal of Freedom, that Beverly was a major character in season one. Yes. In a way that exactly. she wasn't later. In
1: the way that she wasn't later. Mm. They let that go. and. Yeah. So many things are bad about that, but it's, I just, I love her and I love depth. Yes. (laughs) So, yes, obviously she needs to be more than a mom and a love interest Mm. in Picard season three, but she is. I absolutely agree with everyone, like, where's Beverly when in this whole thing where she's a damsel in distress and her entire purpose is related to men, which is... Been true since the beginning. Yep. <laughs> I exhibit A, Jack Crusher, Exhibit yes. B, Jolly Picard, Exhibit three. Like, that's it's yeah. all she gets stuck with. It's almost like they can't understand women as something that are unrelated to men. Yeah, yeah. However, she has created her own existence mm. in deep space and wild space. Mm. She has become, you know, Dr. Crusher medicine woman of the Star Trek universe. And that has nothing to do with many. Like maybe she ran away because she was trying to get away from Picard's legacy and she was trying to protect her son. But the legacy that she created for herself and for her child mm-hmm. is actually separate from that. It's like, I've abandoned Starfleet and now I am helping all of the people who Starfleet refuses to help.
0: Yeah, it's a problem that we don't see more of that on screen, but it's also great that we have that as a concept. I think both things can be true. Also, I kind of did write that fic when I was 12, except instead of going off and being like a freelance hero doctor, Beverly was reviving the Genesis project because something something medical applications, and it was with her secret daughter. Who is so Nate?
1: So you literally wrote for Cars 2 is what you're saying?
0: Yes. <laughs> because
1: too many people are comparing it to Wrath of Khan, And I see the comparisons, but I also think that that's kind of not the point. <laughs>
0: they should let it go. I think the point is that Terry Metalis should have been given an AO3 code instead of spending all this money on his fan film.
1: It's really pretty, though. It's like, Dr. Trek Picard is bad. Yes. As a television series, Star Trek Picard is bad.
0: As a story made for me personally, Star <laughs> Trek Picard is amazing. I have to admit, every Friday I wake up and I look at the spoilers and I go, oh, this is terrible. And then within a few hours, I'm like, maybe I should start watching it now? No, no, I, I'm holding off until at least episode eight so that I know how Like, you know, we know that's where it goes bad. Like, here's the thing. We all know that I love season one's
1: Romulans. Mm -hmm. Every single one, every single Romulan. Uh, But especially the worst Romulans. (laughs) When we all know that I love the Borg. I love Mm -hmm. Seven of Nine. I love just, I love James Callis. Like, like (laughs) it's... It's literally everything in Star Trek Picard is made for me personally, even though I hate like everything Yvette Picard <laughs> and I have so many problems with all of the, the whole data thing and like everything about the planet of the I I can't stand that. And there's like so many things that I really, really dislike, but I also love it. Mm. <laughs> I I love so many of the characters even their terrible parts, <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, c- I can't, like, it's horrible, I feel really badly because I'm like, okay, if I was going to, like, rank all of the Star Treks in terms of quality, Star Trek Picard would be pretty low, but if I was going to rank all of the Star Treks in terms of things that I want to watch and things that I care about, like, Star Trek Picard is above Deep Space Nine.
0: I mean, just because something is bad <laughs> doesn't mean you can't love it. We're Voyager fans. <laughs> and I'm making up this whole alternate version
1: of Star Trek Picard, which is like, like you are 100% correct. Star Trek Picard is fan fiction. Season one was, oh God, what's his name? What's the author's name? Michael Chabon. Thank you. Michael Shabon fan fiction. And mm-hmm. season two is Patrick Stewart fan fiction. And <laughs> season three is Terry Metales fan fiction. But I'm making up my own fanfiction mm-hmm. of their fanfiction. It involves Nerissa and Jack Crusher, <laughs> a power couple, and they're great. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. You know, I haven't felt so in a fandom. Yeah. Like, not even in a fandom, but so, like, active. I haven't felt so active in a mm-hmm. fandom since Discovery Season 1.
0: Wow. And the thing is, in 20 years, some new writer is going to come along and go, hey, there were so many missed opportunities with Star Trek Picard, let's do a fix it. And mm-hmm. they will start picking up those loose threads. And it will probably also be bad, but someone will love it. Maybe me. I have one more comment on data lore before we wrap up. There is actually a note that I took while I was watching, and it just said, Synth Intensifies. The music
1: is out of control. The music is... Alright, so, throughout the entire episode, mm-hmm. the music is ridiculous. My, yes. The first time I mentioned the music is... Okay. So I have two bullet points in a row. The first is, this being, all caps, DATA's home planet... Is emphasized a lot. Mm-hmm. And the next one is the music cues are capital V, very capital D dramatic.
0: <laughs> I know that the synth, like, there was a lot of synth throughout season one, and they moved away from that for a more traditional orchestral taste. <laughs> but I have to say, I kind of like the synth. Like, I didn't when I was younger because it was so 80s, but I think I have enough distance to appreciate it now. And also in this episode about AI and evil AI, I felt like the prominent synths were particularly fitting.
1: It was amazing.
0: So in the
1: toast scene, so there's a scene where Data and Laura are in Data's quarters Mm. and they have a toast to each other and their brotherhood and their... Father, often wrong sung, and it's like everything about it is bad. But they have this ridiculous toast, and the, the music—the music is telling you this is bad. This is yeah, an evil pact yeah, yeah. happening on the screen. It is so dramatic. It is so
0: over the top. And it's just incredible. It's amazing. I also loved the scene wholeheartedly where they're in the conference room and Riker is asking if Lore has the same dick as Data and then LaForge asks how to turn him on. And Picard is like, I am not going to acknowledge the entendre. Is there anything of this here. is happening. No, no. <laughs> none of that happened in front of me there were a lot of double entendre in this episode it was it's like the butt
1: it's like the butt what is happening yeah why are they talking about this it's so weird like (laughs) season one of next generation
0: I a trip. wondered <laughs> if they were testing out standards and practices boundaries, <laughs> and I also wonder if maybe Gene Roddenberry had input into this, and we all know that his whole thing is adding sex. Kink. Mm. <laughs> oh it's, yeah. It's personal kink. And also like the toast scene that you just mentioned, android twin-cest. That's what was on my right, Right! Yeah. It's like, they're literally toasting their
1: relationship that is not something i've ever done with my brothers
0: no no me neither not out
1: there we've never had a hey toast to our brotherhood like nope nope <laughs> uh, um, not a thing and i say this as someone who again like if, if, uh, going back to how this episode is actually return of the jedi <laughs> there are also twins in return of the jedi and they make and action. those are twins that are cool and that i can absolutely get behind <laughs> And I don't, they're weird relationships where they're like kind of in love with each other before they realize they're Mm. related. I'm like super into that because my interpretation of that is that they knew they had a connection. They had like this Mm. connection that was bigger than reality and they didn't understand it and they assumed that it was sexual attraction, but actually it was this twin connection. Mm. So I'm like super into that because that's kind of fun for me. I don't want them to have sex.
0: No, no, that's gross.
1: But I'm into the mistakes.
0: Yeah. They're just like, oh hey, I'm really drawn to that person, I, I guess that's a sexual attraction? And that's kind of what's going
1: on with Data, mm. whereas Lore is 100% manipulating <laughs> Data by using every single tool
0: he has in his arsenal, up to and including creepy incest vibes. And the best thing is it just straight up doesn't work. <laughs> Although, given that Data doesn't need to eat or drink, I really want to know how Law managed to roofie him. The whole the Twitch
1: Oh my God, the Twitch! That the is Twitch is so bad. I that was unnecessary. Okay, I get that they needed a visual representation of one versus the other, but mm. it was
0: so stupid. I do think that they need to owe a an apology and reparations to the Tourette's community because that's not cool. Right? Exactly. The thing is
1: that they they made it. It's an evil Twitch by the evil twin who is mm. an evil AI, mm. and that is not cool. Don't yeah. do that. That's Don't. bad, guys
0: just gonna go back to 1987 and go guys please just try and conform more to the standards of 2023
1: thank you right i I, yeah we don't have to go into how super 80s this Mm. except let's just say it doesn't fully age well it does not and i hope when we see laura again he's learned some things
0: yeah i think he's still gonna be evil I'm just putting that out there. I mean, I guess, but what if he wasn't?
1: Plot twist!
0: I would rather Law <laughs> stays evil and Moriarty maintains his redemption arc than Moriarty being evil. Like, that just seems... I know that you mentioned Moriarty at the beginning of this episode, but I already forgot that Moriarty was in this, and I,
1: I can't handle it. I am really not... Like I'm invested in Moriarty being a joke, <laughs> not ever actually showing up. Star Trek: Picard. I feel so badly, but I. I, I saw a Tumblr yes. post
0: proposing that Star Trek: Picard is the way it is because it is actually all Moriarty simulation, and every time he gets a bit bored, he changes something up, and Amazing. this is this is why <laughs> Picard grew up in this weird Amazing. Victorian setting because
1: okay whoever came up with that is brilliant and i want to subscribe to their newsletter
0: when i find their tumblr again i will send you a link
1: that was incredible
0: so yeah Mm -hmm. i mean
1: i agree i guess i again i just don't like believe in evil people like they're redeeming stupid shah so (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, we're going to redeem everybody, then can we also redeem more? Just just so that it's not, like, I just, I, I mean, don't want yeah. the, I mean, Soji's the song, so Laura could also die and just leave Soji as the only song. Mm. That would also be
0: okay. I would be okay with that. <laughs> I Maybe. it would, would be acceptable. Although I do kind of like the idea of Dal and Soji and Lore hanging out. Just because Lore would be like, hey, cousins, let's do you something know, yeah. evil. And so Darl and Sochi would be like, what? That's the thing. Like, if Lore
1: was made into the creepy uncle that you don't actually <laughs> want to invite to Christmas, but you have to put up with, I would be okay with that. Like, I I just want him to be not fully evil. Oh, my and God. And just sort
0: of... <laughs> I'm and, and just you know. picturing the nightmare that is the Coppelius Thanksgiving where you have all the twin androids, and Soji, and Kore okay. pops in And what's in. his name? Al? And, yeah, Al... Alden? Alden? I don't care. That song. And Law so and, and Dal and, and just, yeah. And Spot Yes. So many songs. The spots. most important song. Yeah. The only good song. The only good song. Okay, thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at antimatterpod, and we're now on Mastodon, at antimatterpod, no, at 10forward.social. And you can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in two weeks when we'll be continuing our spontaneous Beverly Crusher retrospective, I'm calling it BevFest 2K23, with a third season TNG episode, The High Ground, which won't be controversial at all.